When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to More Than Amused Podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts, hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to More Than Amused Podcast. I'm Stani. I'm Sadie, and happy Women's History Month. Big deal over here at More Than Amused, obviously. Definitely one of the best months of the year in our opinion <laughs> yes i mean we celebrate that pretty much every week with what we're doing here but it's always fun when it's women's history month to plan out our content to figure out how exactly we can talk all about amazing women and i don't know it just feels very on brand for us that's all definitely plus the rest of the world kind of is tuning in a to- little bit yes. more mm-hmm. to the things that we pay attention to every single month so it just makes it fun i feel like there's increased awareness mm-hmm it's exciting. We had a reel, as we talked about last week, it was doing well. So if you're here and you're listening because of that reel and you found us, hello, we're so happy you're here. Yes, we are. And we have a really cool topic today. Is there anything we need to talk about before we... Ooh, I wanted to ask you if you read Daisy Jones and the Six. I have not. So I have it on hold for the library, but I have not read it yet. I'm still trying to decide if I want to read it before I watch the show or if I want to watch the show and then read the book. Ooh, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. (laughs) I've read it. I read it a year ago. I watched the first three episodes last night and I was very, very happy about the translation from book to TV show personally. That's good. I heard some people talking about it and they were kind of disappointed just about like some of the relationships that changed like dramatically. Yeah, I can definitely like see the differences, but I feel like overall it got the vibe and it's still a good story that I'm enjoying watching, you know? That's good. Yeah. Plus, I heard that they like, they're the first fictional band to hit in the top 10 or something on the Billboard charts. Oh, really? The song That's that they amazing. Released. Yeah, because usually like, there's not like a fictional band yeah. that releases something. Yeah. No, it was but. good. I like listened to the song Regret Me or Regret You, either one of those. It was good. Mm-hmm. I liked it. And I'm very That's much awesome. enjoying the show. So I've been waiting for the audiobook from the library and they like have a whole cast who read it. I've heard the audiobook is incredible. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I'm really excited about it, but it's been on hold for months because obviously everyone's reading it now. Mm -hmm. So I might cave and like watch the show first and then read the book. But sometimes that ends up being better because then you're not disappointed that it's not true to the book. Honestly, I saw a funny joke on TikTok that someone made where it's like the best part about me is I read books and completely forget what happened after. And so (laughs) they're like, I don't remember anything that's different. I'm just here for the vibes. And I'm a little bit like that too. So I don't know, like when people like the relationships changed I'm like yeah I can remember like feeling a little bit different about these characters but like I don't really remember exactly why so (laughs) now I want to reread it after maybe do the audiobook after I watch it again Mm -hmm. but it's very good that's kind of a blessing though because then you're able to enjoy both that's what I'm thinking yeah be grateful for that thank you be grateful for my poor memory yes (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I have like almost too good of a memory when it comes to plot lines and oh. I get really disappointed sometimes. I remember being burned very badly by the Percy Jackson movie. I when literally we were just kids. gonna say Percy Jackson. I do remember that one. <sighs> yeah. It was not great. They screwed that movie up so bad. There's times when I'm like, hmm, do we watch it first before we read <laughs> just so that there's no level of disappointment? Yeah. yeah. But we'll see. Would recommend it to anyone who is listening. And if anyone listening has any thoughts, DM because I would love to chat yeah. about it. So especially if you have guidance for me. Yes. Which one does Tony do first, everyone? Vote. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. But okay, well, today's topic. Would you like to introduce it? We kind of talked about it a little bit at the end of last week's episode, but it's basically the idea that like fashion has been a way for women to rebel throughout history mm-hmm. and kind of show discontent or dissatisfaction with different things that are going on. And that's like a really powerful thing and kind of a repeated thing that we see happening in every wave of feminism and mm-hmm. continuing today into like some major protests that are going on. So it's just like a really cool thing that we wanted to talk about, especially during Women's History Month. We tend to focus a little bit more on like feminist history during March. And if you want like an overview on a little bit more of all of it, then we have our brief history of Western feminism episode from last March that you can listen to. But this will kind of be expanding upon that into just like the fashion of each wave of feminism. That's what I thought was so fun doing this research is at first I just started going through and like, okay, what are times in history that fashion has been used as like a sign of rebellion? I was almost at first thinking about like, like the punk rockers riot girl is an example of that where the culture is so tied in with the music and the messaging and that comes into like how they dress and things like that and I feel like there's a lot of movements that we've covered where you know the culture and then therefore how they dress is like such an integral part as much of like the actual art is so you know what I'm saying yeah Mm -hmm. and shout out to our riot girl episode Uh. learn all about what that is but the more I was researching I found just a lot of like really cool ways that fashion has existed throughout the waves of feminism and how that changed and how it was almost interweaved with feminism you know was Mm -hmm. how women presented themselves to the world and how almost like society accepted them to present themselves to the world and anyways it was really really cool to learn about so that's what i'll be covering for my portion of the episode is fashion through the lens of the waves of feminism to start so i found just a bunch of really really cool articles the first one that i loved was from i actually low Ficiel must be french anyways but it's the history of women's movement fashion and out of everything i found that was my favorite article because it really went through how the different waves of feminism affected everything starting with this quote is throughout history there has been an undeniable link between feminism and fashion as we move through the women's movement women's style evolved garments and colors became symbols of the movement and women traded in restrictive clothing for functional pieces starting with first wave of feminism prior to the 1800s women wore restrictive corsets tight lace all kinds of things we mean we know how women dressed in the 1800s we can all imagine that so the first example of feminism playing a role in fashion was bloomers when amelia bloomer which i did not know that the person who made bloomers last name was bloomer that's where it comes from yeah it made me joyful to realize that it was a feminist amelia bloomer who sought to change women's fashion and she invented 
the bloomers which are known as the first female trouser this garment was very quickly adopted by feminists who saw independence in their lives and well in their closets and then bloomers became a symbol of the feminist movement but it was met with a lot of negative reactions it was very it was controversial it was a controversial fashion piece and i was reading something where it kind of talked about the fact that like almost the bloomers became more of the talking point rather than what the actual mission that the women were on and so of course because of that they almost stopped wearing them because they didn't want like they didn't want that to be the focus of what was going on. I mean, of the conversations that were happening around it. They're like, okay, fine. We'll wear pretty little feminine dresses or female dresses so that we're not focusing on what I'm wearing. That's a little ridiculous. I know. But also very excited to one day learn more about Amelia Bloomer. Transitioning though, or moving forward through history, Industrial Revolution. At this point, women are now being encouraged to work in factories, but by the 1840s, they were kind of more forced back into their homes. In the mid 1800s, women wore bulky heavy dresses that were difficult to take on and off but then as we reached the 1900s the industrial revolution because they were joining the workplace and began even just participating in sports those big heavy dresses were just not even practical anymore and so styles changed matching suits were worn for cycling and horseback riding and then that kind of trickled down into just being a part of women's fashion in general rather than just specifically for sports and things like that have you seen the TikToks going around that people are like, take my feminism away. I want the pretty dresses back. Yes. <laughs> like, obviously, we know they're kidding. And there is like a certain, I think, appeal to all of us that didn't grow up wearing like <laughs> gorgeous clothes I to know. be like, oh, but it is really funny. Like that now we're like, oh, well, we want to wear pretty dresses. I know. <laughs> like- Part of me is like, wait, but like, could I wear a beautiful Victorian gown every now and then? If that's how I got to yeah. dress, that would be... That would be beautiful. Here I am now in my ripped jeans and and sweater. So (laughs) my complaint more so is the fact that like we did away with all of the events where you actually get to wear like pretty dresses. Yes, where are the balls? Because it's like, okay, fine. Yes, I would like to wear pants when I am cycling or riding horseback or super valid. Duh, it makes sense. But then, you know, on the weekend when there's an event, it would be nice to be able to don a ball gown. Yeah. I'm fully with you there. Yes. Have like a hoop skirt underneath. Really just make it as dramatic as possible. Yeah. Just, you know, be really, really, really feminine for a day. I fully agree with you there. One day we're going to throw a more than amused ball and everyone can come in their most feminine hoop skirt. Whatever you want to wear. But that, yeah. That would be amazing and so much fun. Can you imagine? And not because, I mean, maybe I'm just like not rich enough to be invited to parties that are like black tie, but I'm like, no, no, no. I don't want to go to the, like, that's not exactly what I'm talking about. I know there's people yeah. who have fancy events where they dress fancy, but it's like, no, no, no. I want to wear a big old gown, a big old corset, and I want to have gloves to my elbows. Yes. That's And like actually have to dance. Yes. Yes. That is the goal. (laughs) Anyways, back to feminism. (laughs) So... The suffragettes. Okay, I found this article that I think actually the National Geographic did about the symbolism in the suffragettes and what they wore. And the main one that I found at first was that they wore white in their marches to create kind of a cohesive identity and to be identified, especially in contrast to the men who were out working in their dark suits. That was kind of like a way to stand out in the crowd. But I found other cool like colors and symbols that not even just in the US, but 
in the UK that they used. So to dive into that, so suffragists used visual symbolism to help the public envision a world in which women could participate in the political power. And there were three colors in particular that were used as symbolism a lot, white, purple, and yellow. British suffragettes actually were the first to use the colors purple, white, and green, actually. And that was inspired by that example, the National Women's Party, the US organization dedicated to enshrining women's suffrage in the constitution adopted white, purple, and yellow as its mm. colors. And each color had its own meaning that it was representing. Purple meant loyalty. Gold was the color of light and life. The torch that guides our purpose, pure and unswerving and then for british suffragettes green symbolized hope but white symbolized purity and that's the color that i think has like now lasted as the color that's the most associated with suffragists today but the color white is associated a lot with youth virginity moral virtue and so white suggested that women could be expected to vote for politicians and policies that would better society and then there was a massive suffrage parade where women in dress like i mentioned it contrasted with the crowds of darkly dressed men that would have been like a sight to see just right? a bunch of women clad in white like marching down the street yeah and what i thought was so interesting is that there was also a really practical choice behind this because white cotton dresses were first off consistently in style they were relatively inexpensive and they were really easy to maintain mm -hmm. so when you're marching and having a lot of women needing to participate in this movement it was just almost like a like the easiest option for everyone to have which i thought was really cool to learn about yeah you know what's really cool is there's actually some like vintage suffragette jewelry mm. that you can find on etsy mm -hmm. i looked at it it's super expensive but it's like gold and green and purple and really cool and they would wear that even in their regular day attire to show that they were like loyal to the movement and like supported it even when they were wearing like darker colors or yeah. like out at different functions so there's like some really cool pieces like if Ooh, you just want to look yeah i'm yeah. gonna go look at that after we're done recording i'm excited yeah. another symbol that became one of the most enduring symbols of the suffragette movement is cats which you know i'll talk later about the pussy hats so it seems like cats is something that is just becomes a, a feminist symbol that makes sense too though because like people always use like oh if you don't get married and have children you're gonna turn into an old cat, cat lady. lady so cats started as an anti-suffrage symbol because in the 19th century cats and dogs had very gendered associations dogs were known for being active so they were associated with men and cats were associated with women who were expected to remain within their designated sphere of hearth and home women who deviated from social norms were sometimes portrayed as hissing outdoor cats which was like the antithesis of the well-mannered pretty house cat and then anti-suffragists feared that men's masculinity would be diminished as women entered public life so as a result of this cats often appeared on postcards that depicted men forced to perform feminine tasks such as laundry child care or cooking so i thought it was really interesting to hear that it started out as something that was anti-suffragette and anti-feminist but then an english law gave the symbol even more power so in 1913 british parliament passed the temporary discharge for ill health act in response to the increasing use of hunger strikes by suffragettes who were imprisoned for things like smashing windows setting mailboxes on fire and engaging in arson and bombings to gain attention for their cause 
This law ended the use of force feeding in jail, which had generated intense public outcry and allowed prisoners on hunger strike to be released and re-imprisoned once their health improved. And then women were subject to surveillance and control during their temporary releases from jail. And the law was promptly nicknamed the Count and Mouse Act. Goodness. From my understanding of this is that women would be in jail from committing arson, which I guess I didn't really realize that... That's how far, you know, suffragists were taking it. Great. Okay. (laughs) I did not know that. And so they would go on hunger strikes in there. And then the law was passed that they couldn't force feed them, that they could be allowed to get taken out of jail so that they could get better health because they were starving themselves. But then they would be under very heavy surveillance. And it was called the Cat and Mouse Act. But I was so surprised to learn all of that. Even just being like, oh, and they were in jail for arson and bombings oh okay i didn't realize that (laughs) and then a few years later there were two american suffragettes who embraced the cat as a pro-suffrage symbol during a nationwide tour to promote suffrage in 1916 nell richardson and alice burke set out in the golden flyer a car that was donated by a motor company actually saxon motor company and they drove from new york to california and back giving speeches and newspaper interviews along the way and they actually took a kitten named saxon with them and the cat (laughs) generated publicity of its own as the press documented its growth over the sixth month trip that's cute yeah i it was cool to read about all the different ways that like cats as symbolism appeared through the suffrage moments whether that's anti-suffragette on postcards the act cat and mouse act and then two americans being like no we're gonna embrace this and they just brought a kitty along with them on their pro-suffragette campaign across america also here's your recommendation if any of you have a kitten and you're looking for a name saxon saxon yeah cute Mm -hmm. feminist historical historical and like if you just story behind it truly if you just look up saxon the suffragette cat you'll see so many little newspaper clippings or just (laughs) cats with the white green and purple cape with the pin that say votes for women like (laughs) it is a legit thing the cat that came along them on their tour and there's pictures of him with them in their car and it's yeah it's it's very wholesome that's a wholesome part of the history i guess yeah (laughs) anyway so that is how fashion and i guess symbolism influenced the suffragettes continuing into the waves of feminism so the 1910s trousers were integrated into female wardrobes much more than before it was actually paul puro Ares, i think that's how you say that oh my goodness but his middle eastern harem inspired trousers they were brought to the west and this was the beginning of the rise of the new woman which became popularized in the 1920s where women were cutting their hair into short bobs they wore less restrictive dresses that ended just below the knee coco chanel also introduced sportier female looks during this time which was further developed in world war ii when women even more more so entered the workforce we all know what the 1920s flapper girl looks like but then it Mm -hmm. was even more so in because of world war ii second wave of feminism so war efforts end in 1945 women were sent back into their domestic roles and we kind of took a step backwards in that sense after world war ii and ultra feminine fashion came back in style i mean we all kind of know what the classic 50s look looks like yeah what i thought was interesting is that feminine fashion kind of became an enemy of the movement and red lips 
and heels were almost like a symbol of oppression. We reached the 60s and the 70s where feminine dress took a turn. Mary Quant actually invented the miniskirt, which became a symbol of the sexual revolution sparked by the advent of the contraceptive pill. And then women now had variety in their wardrobes with both miniskirts and trousers. And these pieces definitely challenged socially acceptable female dress and were reflexive of women's new identity as they moved out of the more typical 1950s roles that we all know the stereotypes and cliches of the 1950s Mm -hmm. which future episode coming on the inventor of the miniskirt i did a little bit of research into her and i'm like so excited to do a whole episode on her it is kind of funny that like red lips were symbols of oppression whereas now i feel like a red lip is Mm -hmm. like a very it's like, you know, like owning your sexuality, powerful yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a very bold statement now and almost yeah. a symbol of feminism instead. That's what I think yeah. is so interesting is even just the example of the cat with the suffragettes is what started as an anti-feminist thing. They reclaimed that and then it became something that was a pro-feminist thing. And I think that's what we see now all the time where what once we used to attack women or even just groups of that are oppressed and minorities, they kind of take it and claim it. And then it's not something that they can point fingers to you know yeah continuing through the second wave the 1970s and 80s power dressing became popular because women were joining the workforce even more the new style gave women a more masculine and professional look which made up of matching skirts and jackets with padded shoulders and then during this time there was also a divide between feminine and masculine dressing some feminists believed that clothing such as pantyhose betrayed the movement while others saw embracing feminine dress as furthering liberation and then going into the third wave i mean that's kind of what we're currently in now but i think that that's when there became more of an emphasis on like you can decide what femininity looks like and what empowerment looks like and if that's you dressing really girly or dressing really masculine that doesn't necessarily say anything about your personal feminism yeah i will say i think that's that that's one of my biggest criticisms of feminism is a lot of people look at it as like an all or nothing sort of thing. Yeah. So it's like, oh, well, if you're going to be a stay-at-home mom and like wear a dress every once in a while, then like you are the antithesis of feminism. Yeah. Or it's like, no, the point is, is that women get to choose. You're not mm-hmm. being forced into a role. You're not being forced into a dress. You know, like you get the option. It's up to you. Mm-hmm. Just like every man gets his own personal choice on what he gets to do, like you do too. that's the whole point so it's like nothing has to be the antithesis of feminism like it's just is that a choice that you made or is Mm -hmm. it one that was forced on you yeah and I think that that's kind of like up to us personally maybe to Mm -hmm. figure out why we are making the choices that we are making with how we present ourselves and I don't know like adhere to different quote-unquote you know societal rules and everything it's like am I doing this because actually I feel empowered and I like this or is it maybe something from the outside that's pressuring me to behave in these ways definitely and it's probably the hardest thing ever yeah (laughs) true (laughs) yeah because we're all impacted so much by society it guaranteed it's going to be really hard to truly dissect if it's something that society is forcing on you or if you want it for yourself but exactly yeah. The last thing that I wanted to bring up is the pussy hat story from March of 2017. I think this is the, at least in my lifetime, is the thing that I can see is a very united way that women use an accessory piece to mm-hmm. protest. And if you're not familiar with what this is, a pussy hat is a pink crafted hat 
created in large numbers by women involved in the United States 2017 Women's March. And they are actually the result of the Pussy Hat Project, which is a nationwide effort that was initiated by Krista Sue and Jaina Zwyman, who was a screenwriter and architect located in LA. And they created these pink hats to be worn at the march. The creators state that the name refers to the resemblance of the top corners of the hats to cat ears, while also attempting to reclaim the term pussy, a play on Trump's widely reported 2005 remarks that women would let him grab them by the pussy <laughs> so gross yes many of the hats worn by marchers in washington dc were created by crafters who were unable to attend them so that was kind of like their way to represent their presence it was really cool because they made the pattern and then talked about the fact that like the pattern for the hat was downloaded over a hundred thousand times and just yeah so many hats and then the hats actually appeared on the cover of time magazine and the new yorker which i thought was really cool yeah on the february 6 2017 cover in the style of the woman on the 1943 we can do it poster it was a black woman wearing a pussy hat flexing her arms on the cover that's awesome so quick information if you're even like vaguely aware of feminism i'm sure you know what that all is and what happened back in 2017 but yeah so that's like i said that was like the think the most recent example i could think of before i guess what you're gonna dive into so yeah. yeah we're gonna take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists I found this painter on TikTok like I usually do. Her name on Instagram and TikTok is just AG and the username is AG.originals or on TikTok it's actually AG underscore originals. So yeah but she's from Manchester and just they're just beautiful. They're abstract. They're huge. They're gorgeous. Yeah literally really colorful very colorful they're just so pretty i'm sorry i'm like distracted i'm just like scrolling through right now i'm like ooh, (laughs) yeah they're literally so pretty i like want these in one day i'm gonna have a house and i'm gonna have big old windows in the living room and i'm gonna have these on my walls in said living room yeah i want like giant paintings yes giant and this this is perfect this is what i've had in my mind i love them Definitely. So a lot of her stuff is obviously sold, which makes sense. But she does sell the originals on her website and takes commissions as well. So you can commission some artwork for your wall. Looks like she's also done some pet portraits and some animal portraits that are a little bit more like abstract pointillism type stuff. But yeah, definitely go follow. Her stuff is beautiful. Today, I will be spotlighting someone that I found because they followed us on Instagram, but it is just yesshecan.ca, and their bio is great. It says, dropping the F-bomb regularly, in parentheses, feminism, here to celebrate (laughs) women while promoting equality and inclusion with a bit of sass. Excellent. And what they just pretty much share content that other creators have made about feminism and about things going on in the world. So it's really just like a good account to follow, I think, if you're just wanting Mm -hmm. like, you know, I don't know, just to provide you with all kinds of things. The most recent post actually is someone that was a share 
from almost.co and it was just inspiring women that you should know about in 2022 and one of the people that she talks about is that she talks about someone who is an Iranian woman so I thought it was a really cool video and it ties into what this episode is so yeah and like I said you can go through their account and there's just so many creators that they highlight and different viewpoints and things just all in the name of feminism so go Love give it. them a follow and it's just yes she can dot ca that's awesome all right now back to the show well that is very inspiring i'm ready to go buy some bloomers i'm ready to get a cat named saxon <laughs> right so so cute i guess i'll stick with my masculine dog but <laughs> yeah <laughs> Okay, so I do want to issue like a trigger warning for this next part. You probably heard at least somewhat about the Iran situation with the hijab protests. Mm. If you haven't, it deals with like death and violence and political unrest. So if any of that is like triggering, I totally understand. But I just think this is really important. And like we waited to talk about it because... For a couple of reasons. (laughs) First off, there was like a media storm that was happening around it. And so like facts were being developed every single day. Mm -hmm. And there's something about that that's like kind of terrifying to me. (laughs) Where It's like, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah, we prefer to kind of have things be collected a little bit more. And also like most of the press coverage has died down completely on it at this point. And yet it's still happening. So I think that it's really important to talk about regardless of Mm -hmm. what happened. But anyway, so if you haven't heard anything about it. A little backstory is women in the Middle East, but specifically in Iran, were forced into a political dress code. Like, it is enforced by the government, and this has been since the Iran Revolution in 1979. So, like, not terribly long ago. And what happened is that the government was overthrown, they had their revolution, and then they just put in a new supreme leader, aka pretty much a dictator, And he decided that women had to wear a hijab in the workplace. And then that later they developed the idea that they weren't allowed to enter any government office without one. And that they're technically considered naked without it. They don't have to wear like a full body cover. So that's like a difference between like a burqa Mm -hmm. and a hijab. A hijab is more of just like the head piece. And they did say that they could wear whatever clothing they wanted as long as it covers them properly. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that kind of leaves a little bit too much up for debate. Yes, in my opinion, where it left some gaps for people to get hurt based on that later, which Mm. we'll talk about. And then they claimed that this wasn't going to prevent any social, political, or academic activities at all, and so it was just a way for women to be modest. But obviously the rules have just gotten worse and worse. From the 1980s, they weren't allowed to go to work without one. They can't be in any public building without one. A couple of years later, they announced a penal code that said that women that appear in public without the religious hijab will be sentenced to a whipping of 74 lashes. From what I can hear, a lot of that wasn't actually put into practice, but they would get heavy prison terms. So, like, ridiculously heavy prison terms for appearing in public without it. And then, of course, violence and harassment were really heavy against any women who weren't wearing it in accordance with the standards. Of course, though, like, feminism is progressing over here with technology. Feminism is progressing over there as well. Like, definitely it's slower based on the things that their society has to overcome. But, like, women in Iran were 
wanting to be more liberal about the hijab rules and kind of break free from these traditions that have been there forever. And so in the 2010s and 2020s, they started to not wear them as often or wear them differently. And this led to launching of the guidance patrol, which is basically a morality police. And they would verbally admonish or violently arrest women who were not in accordance with the dress code. And then they would bring them to a center where they would re-instruct them in the dress regulations and then make them sign a pledge to uphold the regulations. And then their family could come and pick them up. Wow. But this wasn't done peacefully a lot of the times. Like I said, they were verbally admonishing and violently arresting them. So Mm -hmm. you can imagine it led to some problems. And so there's been protests against this, obviously, forever. Like, it's not something that people are happy with. One of the largest ones was actually on 1979, so like right after it got put into place on International Women's Day, and they've continued even throughout 2019 and 2020 were a bunch, and then there's even been some protesters that have attacked some of these, like, guidance patrol vans and, like, released the women who have been detained, but some representatives of the government have said in response that improperly veiled women should be made to feel unsafe, and then later backtracked and were like, no, you misunderstood us, but they even did a survey, an independent survey, not the government, because they don't care, but they did an independent survey and asked Iranians, like, how they believed in the thing, because, like, if you're people don't necessarily believe in this law that you put in place, then why is it a thing? But 58% of them do not believe in the hijab altogether. 72% are against the compulsory hijab rules. They're kind of like, if you want to, you can, but if you don't, then like, you shouldn't have to. Mm -hmm. And only 15% of the country insisted on the legal obligation to wear it in public. Wow. They've only got 15% of their country behind them. Yeah. But kind of the catalyst of everything that's been happening recently is there was a young woman named Masa Amini. She was born in September of 1999, so she's actually younger than both of us. I was just going to say, yeah. And she lived with a Kurdish family in northwestern Iran, like her family. Sorry, they're all Kurdish. Mm -hmm. And so while Masa is her official Persian name, her Kurdish name is Gina. And so that's why her family called her. So I might go back and forth between both Masa of those names. and yeah. yeah, Gina. But it's both her. So her father is actually an employee for the government and her mother was a housewife. She went to a girl's school and then graduated in 2018. And she had just been admitted to university and was aiming to be a lawyer. But she had come into Tyran to visit her brother and was arrested by the guidance patrol. And this was in September 2022 at the entry of the expressway while she was with her family. So they transferred her into the custody of the moral security and her brother was with her when she was arrested. So he was asking questions and they were like, oh, she's just going to go to the detention center. She'll undergo a briefing class and then we'll release her an hour later. So he was like, okay, like if that's all that's going to happen, then yeah, you can take her or I'll come pick her up. He was later informed that his sister had had a heart attack and a brain seizure at the police station. And two hours after her arrest, she was taken to the hospital. And a lot of the Iranian government has tried to claim that she was like a left-wing political activist, that she had prior health conditions, because after she went into the hospital, she was in a coma for two days, and then she ended up passing away. And so a lot of claims came out from the government, and her family has denied them all. They said she was a healthy 22-year-old. She had no prior health conditions. One of her friends said she didn't think she'd ever even been in a hospital. And she was not 
a political activist. Like, she was just a normal girl. They said she was shy and reserved. She avoided politics. She wasn't politically active as a teenager. Like, this was just a regular girl. And according to some of the people that were in the van with her when she was arrested, said that she was tortured and insulted. And after she arrived at the police station, she began to lose vision and fainted. It took 30 minutes for an ambulance to arrive and an hour and a half to get her to the hospital. Oh, yeah. And so by the time she got there, it was just too late. They still are claiming that she suffered heart failure, but a lot of people at the hospital have claimed that she was already brain dead when she was admitted. And that doesn't happen. No, that isn't just casually... People don't so just what, drop she was, Dane bread, like brain dead. Yeah, it no, not a thing. She was arrested for not wearing her headscarf properly and for wearing tight pants. Like, that was the rule. So she even had one on. Mm-hmm. They just didn't agree with how she was wearing it, and apparently her pants were too tight. Her brother did notice bruises on her head and legs. That doesn't come from heart failure either. The hospital actually published some photos at a point and then were forced to take them down, I think. Mm-hmm. But it showed her bleeding from her ear with bruises under her eyes. And then one of the doctors actually pointed out, he was like, those don't match the reasons given by the authorities. Like, you don't get that from a heart attack. Mm-hmm. He said they're instead consistent with head injury and the resulting of bleeding. And apparently there's been some medical scans of her skull. These are alleged because everything keeps getting removed. Mm. But some hacktivists, so like hackers who do mm-hmm. it for activism, they went into the medical system and apparently found some medical scans of her skull that showed bone fracture, hemorrhage, and a brain edema, which, once again, does not just happen on its own. They keep claiming that she had a brain operation at the age of five. So this is, like, continuing, like, the Iranian government's like, no, like, her dad, of course, is devastated, right? But he asked to see the body cameras of the security officers, because they have them over there. Mm-hmm. And they told him that they were out of battery at the time. Oh. He also asked to see his daughter's body after her death. And they wouldn't let her in. And they wouldn't let him in to see her. And so he was only able to see her after it had been wrapped for the funeral. And so that's when they saw the bruises on her feet. But they couldn't see the rest mm-hmm. of her body. And the Iranian authorities continue to deny that she had any head injuries or internal injuries of any kind devastating story her father even went on to say that like he doesn't even believe that she was dressed that immodestly because she was known for like wearing a long overcoat all of the mm-hmm. time so even if her pants were like tighter or something like she probably had a coat on top yeah so he thinks that she shouldn't have even been arrested at all regardless of like the laws what the rules are yeah yeah which i mean i don't think there should be compulsory job at all so i agree (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah so this led to of course a major outrage first off because this like innocent 22 year old girl basically bled to death or was beaten to death for no reason like Mm -hmm. it's just completely ridiculous and then the fact that the government continues to lie about it and try and blame it on other things without owning up to the fact that like their officials should not do that anyway so Word spread really fast. Protests continued. The government tried to shut down the internet completely in order to prevent the protests from spreading further. So there was an internet blackout with nationwide restrictions on social media. Also, people held demonstrations in support of the government across several cities in Iran in order to counter-protest. And the Iranian government kept calling these counter-protests spontaneous, like continuing trying to cover up the fact that it Mm -hmm. was 
all justified by this completely horrid act that happened but they have continued for months like it went on right after september literally hours after she died demonstrators gathered outside of her hospital and the security forces were sent out to deploy pepper spray among the protesters and arrested several of them for protesting outside of the hospital like yeah. it's just ridiculous they also were forced not to have a funeral without any ceremony so that there wouldn't be and continued protests. tension and protests oh at her funeral so they weren't even allowed to like give her a proper funeral the inscription on her tombstone was decided by her family and it reads in kurdish beloved Zina, you will not die your name will become a code and some people have translated code to be like symbol or rallying call so her family is definitely like behind all of this and as much as they can be there was a hashtag that went viral with masa amini so her name across all of persian twitter and iranian women in large majority took to the streets they were cutting their hair in protest which is like a huge thing Mm -hmm. over there to like cut your hair especially publicly they were like i've seen videos of people like burning their jobs publicly like not wearing them the iranian government blocked out internet access again and even blocked whatsapp to try and stop the unrest from continuing And the hashtag, though, broke the Twitter record with more than 80 million tweets. Wow. And it led to a lot of internet protests as well from people in different parts of the country, including here. And what's even more disgusting, in my opinion, is the Supreme Leader called it a bitter incident, said that his heart was broken for the poor girl, and that the death was a tragic accident and the chaos is unacceptable. He even threw out to all of the Western countries that were mad about it, saying that there was double standards because he was like, what about all the people killed by American police? Did these deaths get investigated? Okay. (laughs) Okay. All are bad. Yes. (laughs) Like, we can all be wrong here. Like, we don't have to point fingers. It's not good on our part. Like, yeah, we should talk about that. But let's also talk about what's going on here. Yeah. Right? Like, it's just kind of a disgusting thing to do. Be like, well, you can't be mad about what we're doing in my country. Like, look at your own. It's like, how about we all agree that this is a problem? Like, we all got issues here. Don't worry. (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to find the number. It said that because of these protests, women are continuing to be arrested, imprisoned, beat, pepper sprayed, like everything, right? Because they're not wearing the hijab so they're Mm -hmm. being punished for it i saw this thing i don't know if this is what you're referencing but i'm looking through your notes where it says that according to the iran human rights as of october 8th of 2022 at least 185 people have been killed as a result of the government's intervention from these protests that is what i was looking for oh my gosh yeah that is ridiculous Mm -hmm. like that is 100 percent like ridiculous tragic and disgusting that like this is continuing to happen and then the government is just, like, shutting it down as much mm-hmm. as they possibly can. Like, we heard about it a little bit, but, like, did you hear about it nearly as much as, like... No, I mean, I'm surprised to hear that it was, like, the most trending, you know, like, that actually yeah. really surprises me. And that just shows, like, how much this has been, like, completely covered up as much as they can. I'm sure you've heard of the hacker group Anonymous. Mm-hmm. They do quite a few things. So they've actually disrupted several Iranian government and state affiliated media websites in order to support the protests and even released a video announcing the group's support of the protests along with footage of it. Mm-hmm. So they're doing as much as they can. Obviously, I don't know where they're based, but like there is like 
a hard part there where the entire government is trying to cover up the story from the rest of the internet. So it's just tragic and awful and horrible that this is continuing to happen, that the country doesn't even agree with it. Where if you want to wear a hijab, you should be able to. But, like, if you don't want to, you shouldn't be forced to. And it's led to the point where they're even increasing regulations. I saw an article that was, like, talking about how now they're being forced to wear it while they're in their cars. Which before was kind of, like, a gray area. And they actually have done some interviews with people. And someone said, like, every time men decide what women wear, it is wrong. The hijab, it is meant to be a political weapon. And I think that that's, like, a good way to think of it. Like, anytime things are being decided for people, that's not good. Well, I mean, that's what I was going to say. Because, like, obviously there's a lot of cultural and even religious backgrounds to it. And nothing Mm -hmm. that we're saying here is to say that, like, anyone who is choosing that is, like, inherently being oppressed, you know. But it is the fact that it should be a choice that you as an individual feel empowered to or feel... Like, that, that is obviously your choice. And when there's someone a government pushing this on someone like that's bad like on the opposite viewpoint of that women in india are actually trying to sue to wear their hijabs because there's been some laws passed that aren't allowing them to oh um yeah so in india they have been unable to agree on the issue they banned high schoolers from wearing headscarves whereas Mm. it's a very religious thing and so they want to but then it's kind of running into this problem where people are like okay like oppose hijab in iran but support the hijab in india yeah (laughs) but it's right it's just it's not about the hijab it's about the choice yeah what they've said and i think Mm -hmm. that that's the important part like in iran the state is interfering with the rights of women to decide what they want to wear and the exact same things happening in india like it's not a different issue it's the same problem like yeah. the state is deciding what they should wear and instead why of them. and not giving people yeah. that opportunity to make that decision for themselves yeah yeah just a horrible 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 story that unfortunately I guess, yeah, I didn't... Like, I was very surprised that it broke the record on Twitter. I don't know. I, I do... Know. It is so crazy to see the ways that the cover-ups worked. And it's it's very discouraging to see how effective that really can be. Definitely. It's scary. There was also, like, a lot of celebrity stuff that was happening at the time mm-hmm. over here. And so it was kind of, like, breaking up the news cycle. I think it was around the same time, like, the Harry memoir stuff maybe got released. Oh, Okay. No, that would have been later. I can't remember what it was, but I remember someone talking about like... Why are we talking about this and not that? Yeah. And then it was like, oh, a lot of people haven't heard anything about it. Mm -hmm. So it was just kind of one of those things where the news cycle is so demented. And I think we could do a better part as a country as well to look out for things that are happening in other parts of the world that we should care Mm -hmm. about. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's very, I mean, it's just so easy to say, oh, if it doesn't affect me, then I don't have to think about it. And I think I've personally been guilty of it. And I don't know, I think it's an interesting thing to think about of like, what is my job or what is all of our jobs as far as like being outspoken on social media I think personally sometimes I feel a little bit I don't know if bitter or jaded is the right word where it's like I don't feel like me sharing an Instagram infographic is going to do anything and I feel irritated with people who almost like put that as like a stamp of morality of like oh well if you said something about this on your story then you're doing something like to me it, it, it feels narcissistic to say I'm doing something by sharing something on my Instagram you know yeah and 
so sometimes that makes me a little bit hesitant to be as like politically vocal on my social media just because it does feel useless and I don't mean to be like pessimistic you know and I think maybe sometimes part of me is like well I do this podcast and like that's my way of like giving myself voice and like giving myself a platform in a way that like I do feel proud of and like feel like can be beneficial I'm but at the same time like even that feels narcissistic to be like what are we doing with the podcast and especially when there's like legitimate like horrible horrible things being done all around the world I don't know I don't really know my point is I guess it's just kind of like this like balance of like maybe there actually is more of a responsibility than I've even done in the past to talk about the things that upset us and talk about the ways we want the world to change because even if you know me sharing something on my Instagram or like social media like obviously that's not doing anything but like I don't know maybe just collective consciousness in general like if you can be a part of those conversations like maybe that's the side you'd want to be on I don't I don't know does that make sense yeah no I agree I think a lot of the times it's hard too because it's like I'm not necessarily in a position where I can like donate a bunch of money either. yeah that's true mm-hmm. and so it's like yeah like I don't necessarily know what to do about it because it's mm-hmm. like we can talk about it we can share about it but like that feels hollow but it it's does like I don't yeah yeah but it's like I don't have like a ton of money I can like throw at it either to be like Mm -hmm. here help and I definitely can't like fly to Iran and do it you know what I mean yeah like like, it's so limited what we can do it's Mm -hmm. hard I think the biggest thing is like and this is kind of what I always think about it it's like well you know what I can do is I can educate myself yeah that's true and so yeah like if that's all that you can do then I think that that's still a big thing so that at least you're aware of what's happening you know what Mm -hmm. is happening and as it continues to happen you're able to see patterns of it happening and like do something about it on your own way as much as you can because like we're not obviously going to be able to make like a huge dent in Iranian politics we're two white girls in the United States yeah absolutely (laughs) Um, and like I said it feels so like grandiose of like I'm doing something by sharing this (laughs) Instagram graphic it's like shut up no you're not like but I think that's a really good point I feel like there is personal power in educating yourself and Definitely. doing what you can to advocate yeah and then just making sure that like on your own level you're not doing that maybe with like your future children or mm-hmm. like other people in your life that like you're making sure that the people that you are around are able to feel the freedom to make choices for themselves too yeah because you i don't that. want that to happen mm-hmm. yeah i did look up there are some nonprofits you can donate to if you do have money and it's the iranian american woman foundation the united for iran and the Women's Committee of the Natural Council of Resistance in Iran. Cool. So I will link those for sure. These are from PBS website, and they actually have a whole thing about, like, avoiding charity scams. So I think they're very well vetted. But definitely, like, look into anything you go to donate money to before you donate, for mm-hmm. sure. Absolutely. Well, wow. Thank you for sharing that. I know that was a heavy topic that I said, hey, Stani, you do this part of the episode. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, thank you for teaching me more about it and all of Of us. Of course. I will say there's a lot more. It's kind of hard. It's one of those things where like a lot of the same story and then as it was being updated, it kept changing. So I would definitely encourage like if you want to know more about what's going on with the protests, like go look, go check out the hashtag. Like there's footage that you can see and everything to kind of get a better grasp of what's happening over there wow okay well thank you for listening everyone it feels this is like a heavier episode to end (laughs) on so it feels weird just to bounce back to being peppy and 
everything, but for real, we definitely appreciate everyone listening and for joining our little More Than Amuse community. And we do have episodes every Monday, and especially this month, I'm very excited to talk about the ways that women have changed the world and women have been major players in the arts. So thanks again. Yes. Definitely. We're grateful for all of you. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, leave a rating and review, and we'll see you next Monday. See you next Monday. Bye. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.